Hey guys, this is Evan, the Lucky 10,000, coming at you one more time to say if you are listening to this episode, uh, the day it comes out, which is July 31st, this is the last day to vote for us in the podcast awards. So please do that. Uh, podcastawards.com, vote, vote Bearded Ones in People's Choice, Comedy, TV, and Film, and Entertainment, and the Lucky 10,000 in Education. But I really just wanted to say this is the final episode of this season on Badass Women from History, featuring my friend Tiffany Nave talking passionately about Janis Joplin, and I just wanted to thank everybody out there for whoever listened, um, all the guests this season, especially the bands that so graciously supplied me their music to use on each episode. I hope you've enjoyed that. Paulina from Reason to Fine for taking the time to record the voiceover for the intro. That was so amazing and so gracious of her, so I really appreciate that. The other thing I wanted to say was uh, this season's been a lot of fun. It's coming to an end. Uh, but I decided, you know, what the heck, I enjoy podcasting, I enjoy talking, obviously, so I decided uh, I'd do a couple of one-offs in between seasons whenever I felt like it, if there was someone I wanted to talk to that I was interested in, um, that I found the time and they found the time, well, just stick an episode up, it doesn't always have to be a seasonal thing, so there will be occasional pop-up episodes between seasons. Next season uh, is going to be about famous battles from history, and I think that'll be a lot of fun, but I haven't even started getting that together yet, so in the meantime... Uh, you can listen to, just pay attention to the Lucky 10,000 site, and every once in a while you get a pop-up episode, and I hope you enjoy those, and I hope you got lucky this season. Pack some lemonade. In the peanut butter jars And throw the old fishing poles In the backseat of your granddaddy's car And set off driving Don't know where we'll go But we gonna start out on the Brickline Road All my best stories start on the Brickline Road All my best journeys end on the Brickline Road All my lovers love And all my demons come I might get roughed up on the Brickline Road Yes, a little bit rough on the Brickline Road. Welcome to the Lucky 10,000 Season 4 with your host, Evan. This season, badass women from history. Hey guys, this is Evan with the Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than learning about somebody that you've always respected, but... You have a friend that's passionate about it, and you're willing to learn some more, and we'll get into why that's essential in a second. But first, I want to thank Podbean and Stitcher for hosting us, also the Tangent Pound Network. Um, if you leave us a five-star review and Stitcher iTunes, we'll read it on the air. If, as we talk, you want to contact us, it's lucky10,000 at Gmail. Corrections are are encouraged. We don't think we have everything 100% right. So um, this is all about learning. It's all about being one of the lucky 10,000. And I'm one of the lucky 10,000 today. Oh, also check out our Twitter, lucky underscore 10K. And I'm lucky today because I have a very good friend in-house. And she has a very large passion for music and specifically a person in general. But before we get to who she's going to be talking about, I would like to introduce you to one of my favorite people on the planet, Tiffany Nave. 
Hello, Evan. How are you doing, my dear? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. And Tiffany is uh, well-known in theater in the area. She's a multi-talented, multi-faceted person. And she's just a really intelligent, passionate person. And one of the things you're passionate about is music. Yes, very. Uh, if things have gone the way I hope they've gone, the song you heard at the beginning of the episode was Miss Tiffany Nave. Oh. And you'll be able to hear the song in its entirety after the episode. But today, we're going to be talking about... The one, the only, Janis Joplin. Ah! Now, you've had the opportunity to actually play Janis Joplin. Yeah. What was that like? Well, it was It was like, I'm not saying this to be cheesy. It was a dream come true. Yeah. Um, because my, in my family, we had music. My stepfather had a huge vinyl collection. We had music on constantly. Always a record. Um, the big albums, you know, like I remember thumbing through them and, and finding Janis Joplin, an entire section, and just looking at pictures of her when I was young and listening to her and um, figuring out that I do – actually, I can sound like her. Yeah. <clears throat> Figured that out when I was a teenager. <laughs> I can't sound like her. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get our coughing out. But um, – yeah, just and then so yeah, I remember that really well. I remember being like, "What? There's a musical with Janis Joplin yeah. in it?" Like, what was the show? I've, I... So back in the summer of 2006, okay, there was the the auditions for this little show, Beehive, uh, that Center Stage was going to be doing a musical review of women's music of the 1960s, mm-hmm. and it just so happened that the last. Uh, artist number was Janis Joplin and I was like what like this is impossible like I didn't know there was such a yeah. thing a musical review with her music yeah. so I went and um to the audition and I sang piece of my heart and you know I I was fortunate enough to be cast and I got to do it for real and yeah it was it was exactly like a dream come true now when you were on stage playing her I mean did mm-hmm. you feel transported did you feel like it was an out of body experience yeah like it was absolutely gosh I used to almost pray to her every night like she was an angel or a goddess or something I mean you know I would I would ask her to give me permission to to let me try to do this as well as she did it. And, you know, she just threw her entire being into everything that she did, which explains why her, you know, her life expired. Yeah. And we'll definitely get to that. But yeah, that's the thing about Janis Joplin that everyone knows that was really appealing about her is, A, she wasn't a stereotypical model type, (laughs) but she exuded this passion and this sexuality. And I knew a guy who had the biggest crush on her when I was in high school. She did some sort of nude photo shoot and he had yes. that poster. And and I don't want to be too shallow about this, but I I don't know if she would have been his type if she weren't the person that she was. Because she had this magnetism and she had this ability to suck you in. And and you know, when when people do say that people get sort of possessed on stage, she's kind of the definition of that. Absolutely. Everyone's seen her perform at Woodstock. Everyone's seen her perform Peace of My Heart. And it's this transcendent, like, it, it's that whole thing. I just saw somebody post this recently about guitar players. I think it was Trevor who said, if you're not making a face while you're playing, <laughs> then I don't want to know you. And she would, if you've never seen Janis Joplin perform, you have to go watch it because she is, I don't know what she was like in life, and we'll get into that, but she was... She threw every part of herself into her performances Mm -hmm. and her vocal quality was so unique. 
she was she's inspired so many people to have that sort of re- like you look at her and you don't think that voice is going to come out right that big voice that big deep gravelly bluesy rock mm-hmm. whatever voice so do you remember the first song you heard <sighs> Uh, well, I mean, I was just about to say hinging on this, not maybe the first song that I heard, but the first time that I saw a live performance, mm-hmm. and it was um, the Monterey Pop Festival okay. performance, which was really her breakout. That was Big Brother and the Holding Company. Like, that was their big sort of breakout mm-hmm. performance. And um, they were just a small band, and there was these huge headliners, you know, the Mamas and the Papas mm-hmm. and the Who and, you know, these, these sort of large rock acts. And here comes Big Brother and the Holding mm-hmm. Company. Nobody knows them. And, you know, um, they start with Ball and Chain. And that's the first live performance I remember watching. And not re- only knowing what she looked like from the album covers mm-hmm. and then seeing – what she did and um she just it starts out slow and soft you know and it just builds and and she's until she's screaming and she's Mm -hmm. just her face is just contorted and just her whole body is um is responding to this music and then it pans into the audience and people's mouths are hanging open mama cass is sitting there with her mouth hanging open and it's quiet you know like because yes she had that hard voice but she had softness Mm -hmm. she could get this real soft lilt going and at the very end of that song the entire monterey pop festival crowd is silent yeah and she's doing the last few notes and ball and chain and she's just in it and they're in it with her and you can feel it mm-hmm. even just watching it on the Yeah, video. silence isn't always a bad thing from an audience. And then as soon as she hits that last note and the band comes in with that violent kind mm-hmm. of chord at the end, they they just explode. Yeah. And I think that is magical. That mm-hmm. transported She was the definition of captivating, and there's just mm-hmm. something about that era. You know, you look at somebody like Jim Morrison, who didn't necessarily flail all over the place <laughs> all the time. But he was this magnetic force on stage, which yeah. is kind of funny because he hated being <laughs> on stage when they started. But Janis Joplin, I think, was was like that every time that I've ever seen her. Now, what can you tell me about her early life? Oh, well, um, she it, it's, you know, people's artistic greatness is sometimes informed by the trauma they endured. Yes. And she's not an exception because um, growing up in the community, she was born in 1943. Mm-hmm. So she's a an actual classic baby boomer, mm-hmm. like born right then. As the war was ending, and um, she was born in Port Arthur, Texas, which is like a small little oil refining community with all the little neat houses and the little manicured lawns. And she was this gorgeous little blonde child. And as she was growing up, you know, her mother, her family gave her a lot of attention. Um, she had younger siblings, I believe. I'm not sure if Laura was older or younger. I can't really remember, but her brother was younger. Anyway, So she was this adorable child and like she hit her teen years and she had horrifying acne problems. Mm -hmm. She was not developing as quickly as the Mm -hmm. other girls. And this is all from the Laura's book, Love Janice, that I read um, several years ago, many years ago. Um, But yeah, it's just that's what struck me is that when she hit her teen years, you know, she everything changed, everything changed for her. And she began running with the outcasts at Mm -hmm. her high school and drinking and they would cross the line state line into Louisiana to go hear these blues acts Mm -hmm. and to go to the quote. I'm using quotes now. Negro clubs, because that is what they called them. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, yeah, the black clubs, the jazz clubs, the blues clubs. And so she was absorbing all of this rebelling like crazy, you know, drinking, smoking, 
doing whatever. Now, did she come from a pretty healthy family? Yes. Did she have oh, parents yes. that cared for oh, her? Oh, they loved, loved her. her. They did oh. everything they could for her. Anytime she would come home from San Francisco, like a, a, as a heroin addict, they yeah. took her. They, she had a wonderful family. And she will say that. And, oh, well, you can read about her saying that anyway. She doesn't say it anymore. Yeah. Uh, but um, she herself wanted to have a family, which mm-hmm. was part of the reason why she was so unhappy later with mm-hmm. even though she was super famous and she was really the first queen of rock and roll mm-hmm. she really was there wasn't a woman not like her no before her doing this and she's so she paved the way for the rest of the hard rocking ladies to- and not only and, and you know i may be showing my ignorance here but it seems like the female acts before her and i'm sure there are exceptions to this rule but they were sort of machine made Restrained. by usually male producers yeah. who are like oh you've got a great look you yeah. know we'll put you together we'll put you together you'd be a great bebop act you'd be a great this act and she sort of did it on her own oh she did it she i mean you might call an exception to that rule maybe you'd look at wanda jackson sure. the rockabilly queen because she made her own way too sure. and you know patsy klein in a lot of ways made Absolutely. her own way so there was some women but not in rock right they were coming out of country they were coming you know from a different place maybe where women even had more power because rock and roll was so exclusive you know it was like um just starting to be driven by like the guitar and mm-hmm. you know that kind of instrumentation i would say starting with tommy james and so women weren't on that tidal wave so here she comes and you know when she got to san francisco she fled Texas, by the mm-hmm. way, because I don't know. This is the doesn't most, seem like the right place for it. A person was like not, that. and the most horrible story when she was um, on campus at UT in Austin. She had found a group of artists. They were doing stuff, making music. She was starting to to become a songwriter mm-hmm. and to take that blues influence in, and um, from all those trips to Louisiana, and. Uh, the fraternities on campus have this yearly thing where they basically haze each other, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever. Anyways, they're allowed to nominate the ugly man on campus. Oh, no. Yes, yes. Someone nominated her, and by God, she won it, and it crushed her. Of course, it did. So, unfortunately, this this moment defines her for many, mm-hmm. many years after this. And if, I would say that if you asked Janice back in the day, I mean, I'm sure I read this in, in Love Janice. Um, you asked her her defining characteristic, she wouldn't say, it's my powerful, amazing voice or my huge energy or my ability to, to just transform during performance. She would probably say it's that I'm ugly. Mm-hmm. Because of that incident? Yeah, like just the bullying, the bullying mm-hmm. incidents in high school and college, that, that defined her in her own mind. And unfortunately, too, being a rock musician, you know, and I'm a dedicated rock and metal fan, mm-hmm. have been for years, still listen to Metallica and Megadeth and all those classic you know, metal bands, but it is very much a guy's club. And it is, it's better now that because I think in the 90s, the late yeah. 90s, a lot of metal started infusing itself with other influences. So a lot of more sort of progressive personalities mm-hmm. flowed into it. But especially back then from the 70s on, it was not just a boy's club. But if you were a woman, even if you were a successful woman, you were still just a sex object. Yeah. You were under somebody's control. Absolutely. And some for her, you know, she 
she got out to San Francisco. She found this these guys, this big brother in the holding company, set of fellas making this kind of like alcohol-infused mm-hmm. rock and roll, like acid trip. They were friends from the dead from the mm-hmm. get-go, so she had that. And she found her place. I mean, she figured out what she could do, and then she just went balls to the wall and did it, you know? And she, because of the... I think largely because of the way she was tortured and tormented. Mm. She didn't have anything to lose. Right. And you can see it. You can see it when you look at her and how she lived her life. She didn't have Well, and that's the great thing about anything really that you're passionate about is it becomes your escape route. You Mm -hmm. know, I was actually just listening to a Gordon Ramsay interview the other day and he was talking about how, you know, he wanted to be a soccer player (sighs) and he got injured at like 17 really badly to the point where he could not play soccer anymore that was all he ever wanted to do so he ran away Mm -hmm. he went to france and then he discovered cooking and i think it's just all about like as soon as you find that thing that you know you can pour yourself into Mm -hmm. then that becomes your 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 saving grace it's like when people do accuse rock and metal music of of you know i hate it when people equate you know like there was that kid in the 80s who killed himself and he had the lyrics of fade to black oh, next yeah. to him yeah. and so automatically people are like oh this music makes people commit suicide yeah. and i'm like yes that is a tragedy but you can't ha- put a number on how many people that sort of music has saved because they saw someone that was going through the same pain that they were right for people like her especially she felt like an outcast pretty much her whole life. Oh, now, yeah. were her were her parents pretty devout Christian? Was religion a big part of the no, family? No, they were this kind of open. I mean, they had sure they had the typical sort of like we go to church, you know, yeah, nuclear but family. They yeah. weren't. They were. They were so tolerant. They were really mm-hmm. um, accepting of her artistic pursuits. They just didn't want her to hurt herself. Yes, essentially. I mean, she sings her mom's praises, and she spoke to her mother frequently, even mm-hmm. on the road. Apparently, so. Uh, it, it was a miracle, really, mm-hmm. that that they did support her as much as they did. So, um, yeah, yeah. The uh, but the effects of that of that time. It, that's why she did go as far as she did go. And you know, like you were saying, the women of the day didn't have the permission to do that or didn't no. feel like. And she just took it, mm-hmm. and that inspired that inspired the next Mm -hmm. generation of people and they're like what like look at what she's doing you know like we're we're women we can do that like Mm -hmm. we can express ourselves like that and so by the time she got to woodstock you know that would be like well that was it i mean and that was the thing where like i think the whole world was just like oh my god so she goes to san francisco she gets in this band was she always with that band um until until uh woodstock ish until like 69 she was with big brother and the holding company and then it became that honestly, I think, I mean, my interpretation is that they became jealous of because she was isolated yeah. as the star, the yeah. lead, and a lot of their egos did not want to allow right. that. Now, the um, is it the lead guitar player stuck with her as part of the cosmic blues band, maybe? I'm not I think sure. I think it one of them stuck with her because he was on the um Festival Express tour. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have not heard of Festival Express, Mm-mm. This was an amazing tour that took place across Canada, which had the band, the dead, Janis Joplin, like all these, the acts of the late 60s in a concentrated traveling by train across Canada to do these concerts. And it ended up being a, can I say shit? Yeah. It ended up being a shit show. Fuck, fuck, shit, 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 shit. shit. the best part of the documentary that they made along with this was the train, being on the train. They had footage of the concerts, but the best part of the documentary is- 
the filming on the train. What's the documentary? Festival Express. Oh, okay. That's just what it's called, Festival Express. And so the crew, the camera crew, would be in the train with the musicians, and they would just be jamming. They'd all get in a car. They'd be drinking, smoking, like probably dropping acid and doing yeah. lines and, and just jamming together. And you, I mean, never in your life are you going to see Jerry Garcia oh. jamming with Levon Helm with Janis Joplin That's singing. Insane. I know. It's, it is crazy. And so I encourage everyone to see that documentary. Now, who did she look up to? Who ended up being her mentors that kind of helped her along the way? I don't. I. I. I want to say nobody. I want to say they did that themselves. Wow, they did that themselves. Yeah, like I'm. It was all self-made back then, man. Like, um, sure, people picked them up. Producers picked them up. I don't know when. I don't even know what label they were on. I think they were on RCA Victor. Um, but I mean, their story is their own. Big Brother and you know, Company. It's interesting, too, you talk about the ego of the bands getting in the way. I mean, you see that happen all the time. I mean, just yeah. recently in Bohemian Rhapsody, I know that uh, the movie, I know that uh, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was originally supposed to play Freddie Mercury. Oh. And from what I heard, he dropped out of the production because the members of Queen, not that they're not amazingly talented people, but yeah. the band was about the showmanship of Freddie Mercury. Sure. And... They wanted to only have him featured in sort of half the movie. They wanted to show what, how they did after he passed. And it's just kind of like, I get it. You know, you were a little overshadowed by this guy, but there's also a reason Queen was the biggest band in the world. They're like, sorry, guys. And I think that's why I respect a lot of studio musicians because they, they do they they do it for the love of the music right. and they perform with these people and they don't give a shit about being overshadowed by a big personality but you know you look at all these great bands all these talented amazing musicians who've let their egos get in the way i mean the police would have stayed a band for oh, decades yeah. if there weren't that tension and i've even seen interviews with the other members of the band where they were just like well we hated the fact that everybody felt like sting was writing the best music until we got older and realized Sting was he writing, was writing the, the best, best music. music. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I love the other guy's songs pretty much, but yeah. But he was the guy. And <laughs> and if that's what it takes to get you there, why turn your back I on know, that? You right? know, there's that great example, too, of Creedence Clearwater Revival. You know, they were always tired of... And John Fogarty could have been an asshole to them. I don't Maybe know. He, he could have been a control right. freak. I don't know. But there was that last album they had where they finally just bullied him into going, let's let us all put songs on the record that we all written and not just mostly your stuff. And it was awful. It was not good. It was not, not good. good. And you see that all the time. And that's why I think it takes a lot for a band to survive. You know, I think Joe Perry and Steven Tyler are not besties anymore. But they also <laughs> realize but they, know. they know what they have right. and they know they can keep going. Sure. Um, and you see that all the time. I'm a huge Metallica fan still. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they've gotten through everything they've gotten through right. and are still touring and are still writing music. Yeah, they've been through moments of ego. They've been through moments of being douchebags, but they seem to realize now what they have. Yeah. And you don't hear many stories about too many internal band conflicts with them anymore. And you I think it takes a while to get to the point where you're like, I don't have to be the star. Right. And if I have someone that is the star, 
Why not stay with this person? Yeah, it's just like almost famous. I mean, like yeah, it's that's a, exactly what that's it is. the story of yeah. the, that, and it's the story of so many great bands. Yes. And it's just like, oh my gosh, recognize the dynamic here. Mm-hmm. What is selling your What is selling your music? Like Brian May is an amazing guitarist, mm-hmm. but he's not a showman per se. Right, not everybody you know. is. Not everybody can be. That's so, yeah, do you think it had anything to do with the fact that she was a woman too? Do you oh, think if it was absolutely. a man, they would have stayed? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question. And like everything I've seen and everything I've read and you can even see in some of the early documentaries um, of her life and the photographs just I, I, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, they they did. They were like, oh, this chick, you yeah. know, like, oh, man, this chick has all the power. Mm-hmm. And shit, in 1967, that wasn't cool. That wasn't cool. She's super powerful. Super and I'm sure powerful. she wasn't like a perfect person as well. She had her flaws. She did. I'm sure some of this went to her head. That's she, the other side of the coin is that when you start as a band together and then somebody gets all the attention at some point. They're going to get an ego about it, especially when somebody like her, mm-hmm. who's been through all this shit and been beaten down, yeah. beaten down, beaten down. And all of a sudden, not only is she controlling the stage and magnetizing the audience, but now she's considered the sex symbol. Yeah. This and that was that was a nowhere. relief for her. I mean, yeah. that was like a big thing for her. But, do you know, they say that through it all, the reason she continued to use heroin, really, was because... She didn't think much of herself, of even not. then. Even then, she didn't. But the the members of the band say that they didn't see that side. Right. They say, you know, when she was here, she was smiling. She was positive. Mm-hmm. She was trying so hard to, you know, make everything happy and mm-hmm. good. And and I mean, I mean, look at fucking Chester Bennington. Somebody released the guy that sang for. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, oh. Somebody released a video of him the day before he oh, killed himself. Hell. And you would have no idea that 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 thought was even in his head. I think the people that end up actually going through with it or putting themselves in a situation Mm -hmm. where death is imminent, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't know. It's almost a relief. You wouldn't know. Yeah, because they've got it in their mind. Things are going to be over soon. Yeah, Yeah. they're calm I think Robin Williams was the same way. Nobody had any idea that he was about to do what he did. And it's just one of those things where it's like artists are sensitive people and Mm -hmm. everybody's got skeletons in their closet everybody's had rough patches in their lives yeah. but to be an artist is to be emotionally available as much and as vulnerable and vulnerable yes. and when that vulnerability is turned against you mm-hmm. it's such a rejection yeah. and then you get that love and there's always that that sad story of how an artist can walk on stage dominate get all the love from the audience get all the passion from the audience and then once that's over once the show is done yeah. They have to go back to being just a regular person. And some people do not handle that yeah. well. I imagine that she was one of those where she's getting all this validation. And then all of a sudden it's just, oh, yeah, yeah there's Janice. What's up? Good show. Yeah. The, um, you know, in the final, actually in the final, say, day of her life, you know, she was grasping at normalcy, mm-hmm. you know, because she had this guy and um, really wanted to get married. She actually called the San Francisco marriage license office wow. the day she died. Oh, my God. Yeah. To, to inquire about marriage licensing. Now, who was this? Where did she meet this guy? Um, I believe he was a maybe a soccer player in Brazil. I think okay. it was Seth Morgan. I really don't know. I can't remember. I remember his name just because it's sort of blazoned into yeah. my memory, but I can't remember if he was a soccer player. I think he was a soccer player. But now, she met she him in Brazil. bisexual? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Big time. So she yeah. was openly a bisexual. I absolutely never tried to hide it. There's Did plenty she talk of- about it in interviews and things like that? You know, I'd probably not on the Dick Cavett yeah. show, but um, 
Is there? There's certainly pictorial evidence. I mean, you know, that photo shoot of herself and Grace Slick. I mean, they were lovers. Okay. Yeah, and you can see it pretty clearly. Um, I think it was. Think about the prelude to glam rock. Mm-hmm. Think about the the like that bit of flow before androgyny really hit. Mm-hmm. I think that it was. It started in the late 60s. Oh, yeah. People being just sexually open, just being like, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. like, I love people. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, she no, she absolutely did not try to hide it. Um, but Well, I would imagine in the group of people she was with, it wasn't frowned upon. No. <laughs> I mean, it's it was, all about sex, drugs, and rock and yes, roll. it was just openness. I know, I still think they frowned upon, um, you know, like, gay relationships, like, too, well, too that's gay. That's not the think ultimate that hypocrisy. And I it don't know is. if I've ever discussed this on the podcast before, but there's a weird societal like, yes, there's still a lot of misogyny. There's still a lot of sexism around, mm-hmm. but it's OK for a guy to say his fantasy is two women. It's OK for a woman. In fact, encouraged sometimes for a woman to go eh, experiment a little bit in college. I've made out with a girl before. Yeah. Never okay. No, it's Almost not. never okay for a guy to say. And speaking as a guy who's been with guys who's still dealing with being okay with that and not being completely insecure about right, that. Right. There is this level of acceptance. And I'm sure even in the 70s, it was like, oh, two chicks together? It's fucking awesome. Right. But like if somebody caught Jerry Garcia sucking off as a guitar player, there'd I'm be sure there would yeah. be a problem. There would be a problem with that. Yeah. Because like even look at. Well, even look at artists like David Bowie and yeah. Iggy Pop and like that had known sexual liaisons mm-hmm. in London, in yes. England. Yes. Yeah, they could get away with it. Bring that over here. You better have a wife. You better have And a- it's only <laughs> just in the past, I'd say 10, maybe 15 years that those artists have been open about it. I know Pete Townsend had a passage in his book about sucking Mick Jagger's dick. Sure. And he was like, I'm, I'm not a gay man. I'd never been with men. But I did do that, and it was awesome. Yeah, the but guy that's when he's in his fucking sixties and seventies. <laughs> he's finally and able like, to he's say. He finally said it in an interview. Like, yeah, I did. I don't give a fuck. It was yeah. great. But back then, no, no, you couldn't. Say. And then there we go back to Freddie Mercury and like, yeah. You know. So it's just sad. It's just sad that that's the case. But hey, guys, this is Evan. Hey, Jason Underwood. And if you're enjoying listening to the Lucky 10,000, then come on over to a podcast where nobody's ever getting lucky, ever. Here on the Lucky 10,000, you're here to learn, but with the bearded ones, we're here to make you laugh. And and maybe you'll learn something while you're laughing. Yeah, learn something like about Batman. <laughs> I mean, for we were on a stint of Matlock for a while. I, it was funny to me. <laughs> hey, I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's not how you sell it. Come anything. on over, listen to the bearded ones podcast, I guess. I yeah, mean, I, I like it. I'd be a shit salesman. <laughs> um, i buy this car. I mean, I drove it once. Yeah, probably would, you probably wouldn't like yeah, it. You don't want to, <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah, want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Fuck this. Don't listen to bearded ones. <laughs> Come on, check us out. Bearded ones comedy podcast on the Bearded Pods Network. I knew that. I didn't know that. Well, that's why we're here, listening to the Lucky 10,000. You learn something new with every episode. And while you're here at the Bearded Pods Network, you might want to come and give us some pod love. We're Teddy and the Bassman. We cover all sorts of subjects, speak with tons of interesting guests, and entertain you with a melange of vintage commercials and jingles, and a whole plethora of eclectic music. You might even learn something from us as well. It'll probably be about bondage, but... Teddy and the Baseman. So, what is the time frame here? She has the band, she goes to Woodstock, she kind of steals the show. Yeah. And then she gets her own band, she goes up to Canada. How many years was she sort of the Janis Joplin that everybody knows? Three. 
wow. three years, if you believe that. I mean, from Monterey Pop to her death, which is when she was recording Pearl, she died yeah. during the recording of that album, was a little over three years. That's insane. Yeah. You look at the career of the Doors, too, because I was a big Doors fan. And you think these days, especially being a Metallica fan, when it's like, like six years between albums, the Doors would have like two albums a year. Hmm. Their career as a band was not very long no. at all. And then, unfortunately, you get – we were talking about this before we recorded. You get the 27 Club, uh-huh. which is, you know, Jim Morrison, I think it was drug overdose at 27. Jimi Hendrix, drug overdose at 27. Janis Joplin, was it specifically a drug overdose or was yeah. it a specific – was it heroin? It was heroin. She had um, uh, sort of a pickup to what we were talking about before. She was waiting on this guy, Seth Morgan, to come up to L.A. Because she's been in this hotel room at the Landmark in mm. Hollywood for – a month now mm-hmm. recording Pearl. She's at the at the at her wit's end. She hasn't done heroin since April. It's now October, so she's having an antsy day. She's yeah. just not called to the studio. She's like blah blah. I can't get her marriage license because they're not open till the next day or whatever. And worst of all, her fiance is like, "Oh, babe, I'm not coming to L.A. tonight," uh. you know. And so she gets kind of like about it. And apparently, this is not the first time that Seth Morgan didn't show up when you're supposed to. So that's kind of getting at her. And she calls her dealer, her heroin dealer, because guess what? He's freaking. Thorough. Mm-hmm. He tries everything first. He's always there on time. Mm-hmm. But this day, this particular day, he did not try the product first. And it turns out that it is over 50% pure heroin. Holy shit. It is not cut. It is like uncut heroin. Yeah. Which, even if you were an addict having been on hair, even if you're shooting up every single day, that's going to be hard and right. dangerous and deadly. And here she has been off heroin for six months. And mm-hmm. now she's about to do, unbeknownst to anybody, this almost pure heroin Oof. to her body. That's what happened, you know. She just she had a little slip, mm-hmm. and it killed her. Yeah, that's that's. I don't mean to sound like an after school special, but I have seen the effects of that kind of addiction on a lot of people, and it does become this crutch where you can be clean and and fine mm-hmm. as long as things are fine. Things are mm-hmm. as soon as things start going downhill. And I wonder what would have happened had we had the kind of addiction outreach that we have now because you know i know people who have backslid but they immediately go into a rehab or they immediately get their if she had their, a better support if she had a better support yeah. system who knows what would have happened but then you have philip seymour hoffman well there you go you yeah got philip seymour hoffman you know that the it's it just happens to the best of them because when somebody gets it in their mind that they need a hit mm-hmm. They're going to find the There's really hit. nothing you can it's do. It's just unfortunate that that particular hit on that particular day was a death ball. You know, yeah. I mean, like, crap. And I wonder how her dealer felt about that. Not that I'm trying to be too sympathetic with a heroin dealer, but still. I'm sure he felt bad for not trying it himself. Yeah. Beforehand. Or maybe not, because he might have died. <laughs> well, he probably wouldn't have done as big a hit, you know. Yeah. Um, but it, I would be interested to find out about that guy. Like, mm. if it was me, I'd have have a very hard time facing oh, each yeah. day yeah. for the rest of my life. So I wonder if something didn't happen to him. That's also why kids just don't do drugs. Just don't do drugs. Just okay, especially not heroin. <laughs> you can smoke pot, but don't don't smoke yeah. the heroin. Don't inject yourself with stuff. Don't inject. That's probably a good idea. Anything coming from Coke is probably not good. So the biggest question I have about people like Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and Kurt Cobain mm. is that we never saw the second half of their lives in the second half of their art. You never got to see that fall mm-hmm. yeah every artist has it if yeah. you're around you know, david Bowie was a uh. genius but not every song he wrote was the best song <laughs> but in then the world. you had you know 
Yeah. Let's dance. <laughs> yes. Then you had Dancing in the Streets. I love that song. That's the big, and the so big I wonder yeah. how much of her legend, because you can see Grace Slick now mm-hmm. in interviews and things like that. Yeah. And you could see, you got to see how her addictions, in some cases, live <laughs> on stage in front of an entire country, really got the best of her. Yeah. And she hasn't been, it, it's it's like the whole Marilyn Monroe thing. Like she died at her peak. She died yeah. being the Marilyn Monroe. She yeah. died being the sex symbol of sex symbols. Mm-hmm. We didn't she get did. to see her age. Didn't we didn't get, get to, to see her, her flaws. I wonder, and this is the question that unfortunately will never be answered, but for people like Janis Joplin, what the second half of her career would have been like. What experimentation would she have used musically? Mm-hmm. She probably would have gotten clean at some point. Probably. And, you know, been okay. Because that there's that, there's always that sort of sobering 40s and 50s where people look at their lives and go, I got to change some shit. <laughs> right. You know, the youth was great and fun and drugs and sex and everything. Yeah. But I think it's starting to settle down. I would have loved to have seen what she would have done had she been able to mature, the thing that is legend about her is the influence she's had on so many people since then. And unfortunately, part of that is the mystique of her dying so young. Right. Wow, she's great. She's great. She's still she's great. great. And she's, and she's great. Gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah and now she's, she's gone. Very good. And so yeah. first people that come to mind that you know are directly inspired by Janis Joplin. Well, Pink. Pink has stated it on many occasions okay. that, like, you know, she's directly inspired by Janis Joplin. Um, I think if you go back and you look at, say, it acts coming out like The Runaways mm-hmm. and, um, um, well, the direction that Grace Slick went after mm-hmm. 1970, you know, they I think they were all taking a cue from her. Even mm-hmm. people like Tina Turner, who were, you know, she was dabbling in rock mm-hmm. in, in that time or a few years after that. Like, I just feel... I feel like she did open the door for women to be hard and Mm -hmm. soft Mm -hmm. and like balls, like I said, balls to the wall, just like and to to put themselves out there and be real and be real women and and not just a thing that somebody controls. That's just a manufactured. Yeah. And you you see it, too. It's like even if you can't hear it musically in people, Mm -hmm. it's the attitude. Yeah. Like you're right. Would Tina Turner have been Tina Turner? The Tina Turner that we know, the one who just took over a stage and poured herself into it without someone like Janis Joplin. I don't know. Door, yeah. To but, make it okay. Because yeah. she, she being a woman of color, it would probably been much more difficult for well, her. Well, and seriously under the thumb of a man. And I like, love Tina Turner. She's amazing. I mean, like, and you know that they performed together? I did not they know They did that. at the Fillmore and Fillmore East, or I don't know if it was Fillmore East or Fillmore in LA, but they they were on stage together. Wow. They did Proud Mary together. That's amazing. I would have loved to have heard that, but there's only photographs. It wasn't recorded? Oh, no. No. I mean, not, there may one day surface a recording. There may be one there now that I don't know about. Even if it's a shitty recording. Mm, I know. I'd love to hear it. Well, you being as big a fan of Janice as you are, mm-hmm. someone came up to you and said, this Janice Joplin, I'd like to know more about her. What should I listen to? What are the key songs that you think of when you think of Janis Joplin? Your go-tos. Me? Okay. I, I say to someone that doesn't know Janis, I say go listen to and watch this Monterey Pop. Mm-hmm. It's Ball and Chain. That's mm-hmm. got to be one of my favorite songs. All my favorite songs really are from the Big Brother and the Holding Company days. I love Get It While You Can. Mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend that. Peace of My Heart is probably everyone's. It's just, it's just up. Uh, 
empowering. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, take this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care. Like, I like go ahead. You know? Well, in the like, performance too, it's great because yes, that's what the song is saying. But you can also tell there's pain behind mm-hmm. those words when yeah. she's saying it. Yes, absolutely. It's like she's overcoming something. And she's on the other side of something, and she's going, you know, this fucking hurts, but I'd rather hurt. Right. I'd rather have this experience. I'd rather this happen. Yeah. Know? And she and that's. And that comes through on so many tracks. And there's another one, um, a live version of Tell Mama. Okay. And that's one people don't usually know, but she does this amazing monologue before where she just basically invites a, a healthy young man to like meet her backstage. I mean, she was very sexually overt. Yeah. And I think that that was empowering for women of the time. And probably like, empowering for her to be where she came from yeah. and being told she's just this ugly thing. And now she's in front of all these people. That and I guarantee her. you when she said that, like every guy in that <laughs> oh, crowd was, like, was getting ready to line up. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, and that's I think that's a big part of why she was so sexually overt is because she had been, like you said, she'd been told she was ugly. You know, mm-hmm. her whole her um, teen life. You know, when her sexuality was developing, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's it's like it's it's about what was on what, the energy she gave off. Mm-hmm. You know, about who she is on the inside. And um, I think she was beautiful. I know that she yeah. did not think she was beautiful. Many people thought she was eh, just okay looking, but just that energy. How can you? There is. I have definitely known people, and you know, different people are attracted to different things. That's why the idea. Of, of you know, a magazine showing you a model and saying this is what a woman yeah. should look like and act like is kind of bullshit because we're all <laughs> attracted to different shit. things. Yeah. But there is also an attitude. I've known plenty of people, men and women, who are gorgeous to look at, but they don't have the substance or that, <sighs> that oozing sort of yes. eroticism, sexuality that Janis Joplin had. And I think that's... Or they're that's, just an asshole. Or they're just assholes. <laughs> But there is also something too, you know, we're, we're in an age where people are becoming more open about their sexuality and women especially are becoming more able to talk about their sexuality in a positive way. Mm-hmm. You look at somebody like uh, Amber, Amber Rose, mm-hmm. who, I don't know if you know this, but she did this video, like she was doing her walk of shame, you know, like back then you used to do in colleges. Oh, and sure, stuff, sure. Where, yeah. uh, but her walk of home. shame was she's just leaving this guy's house that she's just had a one night stand with and she feels great. Mm-hmm. People are just like, hey, did you just have one? She's like, I sure did. She's just walking <laughs> home. Because, you know, especially with women, it, there is a bit of a double standard as far as sexuality is concerned. And there is an idea that that women being looked at as the sexual object is disempowering. But if somebody like Janis Joplin comes along and controls it yeah. and says, I don't mind if people look at me as a sept object as long as I am determining the path that they take to sure. get there. Like, it's not like someone else is putting me on a poster and going, right. you want to have sex with this person. I am exuding that. Yeah. Right. And if they look at me sexually, I'm going to indulge in it. Sure. It, it's all about choice. <clears throat> it's all about what her choice is and what her, yes. you know, her will is, you know? And like, I think that's just the direction that, that, Everyone needs to go. I can't believe like 50 years later, we're still like, oh, I don't know if women can really decide yeah, well. <laughs> for themselves how much sex to have. You know, right. it is. It's true. It's so weird. You know, like, I mean, I'm pretty old now, but like when I was in college, I had the walk of shame. 
Yeah. I, I never, I have, I have stories which I can't share on the air here, <laughs> but I have never done the walk of shame. And you know, that may be, I, I don't want to say for sure that it was the influence of like powerful rock stars like Janis Joplin right. on my life growing up, but probably it was. My parents had MTV from day mm-hmm. one and I was watching kick-ass women mm-hmm. from day one. I remember the first person that I remember looking at as a sex object, a big star who I felt like was making me look at them that way voluntarily mm-hmm. was Madonna. Oh, she just yeah. sort of owned her sexuality in a way that she was like, yeah, I think I'm fucking hot. So you should think I'm fucking hot, too. But I decide. Yeah. How on I my present terms. myself. My yeah, it's on my terms. Yeah. And if I want to have sex with one person for the rest of my life, multiple people in a day, mm-hmm. I don't have to feel bad about no. it. And you can't tell me that somebody like Madonna was not influenced by Janis Joplin. I was just going to say, if there was anybody that picked up the mantle where mm-hmm. Janis Joplin left off, it's Madonna. Because mm-hmm. she did. She came in and she owned her herself, her music, her sexuality, her production, mm-hmm. her company. And now she's one of the richest women in the world. Right. And the most successful. And she's still relevant. I'm sorry. She's Absolutely. still relevant. She is still relevant. I just wish she would sing in her concerts. <laughs> I wish she's not doing that. Like other, like other I mean, that's one thing you know Janis Joplin did was she sung live. Yeah, she did. But yeah, I mean, I I, I think we've got enough here for a really solid episode. Okay. And it's been better than a solid episode, okay, I think. Good. It's been amazing. Thank you for sharing your yes. time and your passion for Janis Joplin with Love us. Her. If someone did want to get in touch with you, Tiffany, how could they do that? Well, they could find me on the Facebook. Um, it's <laughs> Tiffany, N-A-V-E is how you say it, spell it. I always want to put a K in front of There's it. There's no K. It's nave like the part of a church. Oh. Like the nave of okay. a church. Got no time for this knavery. Right. But that's not really where the name comes from. That's for another episode. Oh. (laughs) Next season, then. Next season, Strange Origins of Local Names. Well, thank you for doing this, Tiffany. I love you to death, and I'm so glad we got the opportunity to do this. Me too. I think it was a great conversation. Anybody out there interested, uh, please research more about Janis Joplin. If we've gotten anything wrong, we do not mind being corrected. Uh, Lucky10,000 at Gmail. Or if there's anything else you want to say, I'm sure there's stuff that in 40 minutes it would just be impossible possible to touch on right. but uh, obviously she was someone that deserves our respect deserves our admiration and an entire genre of music probably wouldn't exist without her right so we want to thank her for that um janice i hope you're listening mm. i know that you've channeled through tiffany once or twice before <laughs> so hopefully you're in the room and hopefully we did you justice so again if you leave us a five-star review and sit your itunes or read it on the air i hope you've enjoyed the show i hope you're enjoying this season and i hope you got lucky tonight Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000, with your host, Evan. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky, underscore, 10k. And, visit our podcast network site, at beardispodsnetwork.com. Gravel in your guts, got tire and diesel in your soul, ain't nothing left here, so I cozy on up to some heavy load. Pack some lemonade in the peanut butter jars And throw the old fishing poles in the backseat of your granddaddy's car And set off driving, don't know where we'll go But we gonna start out on the brick line road 
All my best stories start on the Brickline Road. All my best journeys end on the Brickline Road. All my lovers love, and all my demons come. I might get roughed up on the Brickline Road. Yes, yeah, a little bit rough on the Brickline Road. Got two quarters, one for you and one for me. We gonna get a cold, cold, cold down on Mr. T's. He got no black dog, drags himself across the floor. He been living on the Brickline Road. All my bleeding stars on the Brickline Road. All my lessons in on the Brickline Road. All my hand-me-downs, they don't make a sound. I learned to play it loud on the Brickline Road. Yeah, I'm gonna drown it out on the Brickline Road Eyes on the windshield, can't see where to go Got gravel in your guts, got tire and diesel in your soul Ain't nothing left here, so I Cozy on up to some heavy loads Try to ride that draft out the Brickline Road, yeah Try to ride that draft out the Brickline Road You got some choices to make You gotta leave, you gotta stay You gonna chase that dream and let it drive away Ever wanna find me, you know where to go Ever wanna find me, you know where to go Ever wanna find me, you know where to go Just keep on rolling on down the Brickline Road Keep on rolling on down the Brickline Road Keep on rolling on down Keep on rolling on down Keep on rolling on down the Brickline Road